Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Free Thought Project podcast. This is John Vibes. I'm joined today, as usual, by Matt Savoy and Jason Bassler. Today, we're going to get into some of the police state topics. But first, I want to remind everyone to please help us out by rating, reviewing, subscribing on iTunes or your podcast player of choice, or subscribe on a whole bunch of them. Do whatever you can. But uh, we're facing a lot of censorship right now. We just had our 2.0 page taken down. So we definitely need your help to get in front of as many people as possible, because as we're going to discuss in certain ways today, there is no media to speak on the police issue and the military issue, the military-industrial complex issue. And everybody is so focused on this culture war and Trump and all these stupid things when there are people getting hurt and killed, as we saw in Houston two weeks ago now, but Matt wrote a story this week about some of the details that have came out since the story broke. And of course, as usual, the media ran a smear campaign against these people. Matt, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's been a story across the country for the last 10 days or so since it happened. I think it was like on the 31st or something, or maybe the 29th of January. This It was a couple that they've been married for 30 years. They have no criminal record whatsoever, um, except for like the wife had like bounced a check maybe three or four years ago. But they didn't fit any of the profile of like black tar heroin dealers, which is what they were accused of and why the police say they were there to raid their house. They lived in this house for like 30 years. They were best friends with all their neighbors. Dennis was a honorably discharged um, Navy veteran. They they just they totally didn't fit the profile. So what happened was um, the police claimed that one of their informants um, bought black tar heroin there, and claimed that they actually was they saw the heroin in the place like massive quantities of heroin and like a nine millimeter gun or something like that. That's what they told the police. And when the police raided them, they didn't find any of that. They raided them like just a couple hours after this informant told them that. Uh, you know, we've had Roger Talley on here to, who has done a huge expose on how these informants actually lie to cops or and the cops believe them and actually fabricate this evidence to justify raids on innocent people. And it, it kind of looks like that's what's going on here. Or they might have had the entire wrong house altogether. So we don't know exactly what, what happened, what transpired. But um, we do know that what the police have told is that five plain clothes men with AR-15s kicked in the door to this house, immediately shot their dog, and then Dennis Tuttle came out from the back room with a gun and returned fire and shot four of these guys. They were not in um they were not in their like uniforms and they immediately came into the house shooting. I mean this is just and so all Dennis Tuttle did was he he defended himself against, you know, four or five um armed invaders who came into his house shooting. And his wife was not armed, and they claimed that she tried to grab the shotgun from one of the officers, and so they just they they shot her too in the back. This is what we're dealing with. They're being completely opaque with it. They're not releasing any details. Yesterday, we found out that one of the officers involved in the raid has been suspended. We don't know why. They're not telling us why he was suspended, and he was he's one of the guys that was shot as well. They were so, citing bad information, right? Right. After they announced the suspension. They said the two were not necessarily related, but they also said that there might be some false information on the warrant that justified the raid. So that, that makes it even look more like a botched raid or wrong home or bad information or a terrible informant or something like that. And, and it's just, it's so sad. You know, the, the police union president for Houston, um, Joe Gamaldi or whatever his name is, he, he came out after this, you know, he came out and told everybody that uh, this anti-police rhetoric will not be tolerated and we're going to track you all. Like if you talk bad about the cops or we're going to hold you accountable every time you stir the pot on our police officers. And he called these, this couple dirt bags and everything. And I mean, even if they were deal- dealing heroin, like they, they're people busted into their house with guns and shot their dog. 
You know, this is like, this is not, that's not a way to, to, to solve a problem. So it's this drug war and police state and militarized SWAT raids like this is, is the problem, you know, like that's, that's so much more dangerous than, um, than people like actually doing drugs, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. And you mentioned that police union representative, he was the guy who got on the television, not long after the raid and started saying that it was police accountability activists and people like that who were responsible for what happened because apparently there were these crazy gangsters in this house who hated police and they were a part of this war on cops and that's why they had the audacity to shoot at these people who invaded their house and shot their dog. Then now it comes out that, no, in fact, these are just two average people who probably thought they were getting robbed, or worse, and and there is all this bad information, possibly the wrong address. And I know how confidential informants work. I've definitely, unfortunately, encountered many snitches in my time. And usually it's a thing of they are going to give the police information on somebody they don't like or they're going to entirely make it up. And if they do it on somebody they don't like, it's just killing two birds with one stone. It's like back in the day with the witch hunts. You know, if you didn't like somebody down the street, you'd just tell the church they were a witch and somebody else would take care of your problem for you. So it's it could be a variety of things, uh, but it seems like these people were well-liked in their community. So I'm kind of ruling that out as a factor. All Everybody in the neighborhood is having a hard time believing this as well. That's true. And you mentioned um, how Joe Gamaldi said that there were like these anti-police people in the house. And that's just simply not true. I actually went to the Regina Nicholas Tuttle, Dennis's wife, who was killed in that raid, too. I went to her Facebook the day that uh, she was killed. And I looked and and found that she... um, she followed like the Blue Lives Matter page, All Lives Matter page. She was a friend, uh, or she liked the like the Houston Sheriff's Department. She followed all these different law enforcement pages, and and um, that just, you know, there, there's just that's just not typical of anybody who's anti-cop. You know, uh, I mean, unless she was like gathering intelligence on on these different uh, different departments, but that's just that's not true. I mean, you go look, go scroll through this lady's Facebook page and she looks like a, the girl next door, you know, the, the, this, they were like a, a well-loved couple and, and this drug war police state swept them up and wiped them out, man. And it's, uh, it's, it's tragic. It's it's really tragic. And then the four cops that were shot in it too, you know, they didn't, this just shows how, how pointless and violent that the, the, the way that the, you, the government tries to deal with addiction they try to they try to solve problems of addiction and stuff with with the barrel of a gun and and force and violence and uh if you don't think that that's the good answer then you're anti-cop and you want you want to wage a war on police yeah i find it interesting too the terminology they use those black tar heroin right not just heroin i don't know the way they kind of frame the whole situation the way gamaldi came out on the offensive and you know even if they are proven wrong, even if there is information that comes out proving that this was the wrong house, I feel like they're probably not going to be backtracking much, especially because he came out with such a strong statement. And we also confirmed as well, right, that it was a a no-knock raid. I'm not sure if you mentioned that earlier, Matt, when you were explaining it, but I mean, all these different factors contribute to what I call common sense, you know, like you're going to get shot if your profession and your career is home invasion, whether you're wearing a police officer uniform or you're in all black and you're a robber that's just common sense so i'm right there with you matt i think that the way that this is being handled uh, and the, the way that the drug war has been handled for years now it's it's a total failure and the fact that police and government aren't willing to recognize that in my opinion they're the real dirtbags for continuing it exactly man and 
and they they don't understand how much like more dangerous that makes their job. You know, the drug war is 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 not just dangerous to people that do drugs, but it's also dangerous to police officers. Which is it's just fucking stupid that they're that they continue to put themselves in danger by by like what you said by kicking in doors and and raiding people's homes and stuff because they have a substance that's deemed illegal by the state. You know. It's like we we just we're stuck on repeat. The the record keeps skipping over and over. And every time the government tries to ban something or outlaw something or enforce the ban with police with the barrel of a gun, cops die, citizens die, and everybody suffers. You know, like the the most dead the deadliest time for police in America was at the height of prohibition. You know, in 1930, and that was when uh, 300 police officers were killed in the line of duty by mobsters trying to just you know just sell alcohol. And, and that it didn't work, you know? Yeah, people get addicted to alcohol. People drink themselves to death. They hurt themselves. But that's themselves, and, um, and no one else is harmed by that. Well, I mean, yes, their families and everything else. But we, we know that but that prohibition does not work. We have a repeated history over and over and over again showing that prohibition makes everyone suffer involved far more. It, it's a draw on the taxpayers. It's a draw. It creates and builds and grows the prison industrial complex. This is just, it's terrible that, that the police are so addicted to this drug war that, that they're willing to put their them, like their, their own officers and, and then the public at risk with um, with all their violence and everything else in the way they enforce it. It's, it's disgusting. And, you know, the everybody who speaks out about it is, is labeled as anti-cop or whatever. And this, this is just in spite of the people like uh, Leap, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. You know, this is their their own cops are forming organizations to try to stop the drug war because they know how violent and how pointless and, and destructive it is. And they won't even listen to them, you know. And at what point do we realize, like, they're no longer enforcing this drug war because it's the moral thing to do? They're enforcing this drug war because it's profitable they make a, a lot of money on it. They get a they get a suck money from the taxpayers and get new toys like um, like MRAPs and 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 new AR-15s and battering rams to take doors down and big tanks and all this shit. You know that's what it just feeds on itself. And um, I think that there was even a story recently where um, out of South Carolina, I think the police department in South Carolina. They were asked why they keep seizing people's um, cash and why they want to keep asset forfeiture alive. And they actually responded by, what's the incentive otherwise? That's the direct quote. Like, they have to keep seizing people's shit and stealing their money because what's the incentive for policing anyway? I mean, that's that's how you know that, like, this drug war is, is not even about safety and, and keeping the public safe. It's about fucking making money and bottom lines and... And people and, get shot and killed over it. And that makes police pawns to this whole system. You know, and that's almost a human sacrifice in a sense. Cause they're putting their lives on the line to enforce these laws and kick down people's doors. And you would think that police, and obviously some have, some have created these you know, like law enforcement against prohibition and whatnot. But I mean, it's it seems like more should be able to recognize this pattern. You know, we know that there's five different lobbying groups that want to keep the drug war alive and it's what police unions uh private prison corporations uh pharmaceutical corporations prison guard unions and alcohol and beer companies all these people have incentive to keep the drug war alive and that's why things don't change realistically no matter how bad it gets and so people like jamaldi are going to come and try to double down when they're in the wrong and uh they're going to try to continue the propaganda yeah, it's just this delusional worldview that they have where the there's us against them and it's the bad guys and it really justifies their whole existence. Otherwise, they're going to have to look at the fact of what they really are. I saw this article uh, earlier this week about El Chapo and his trial and everything, and there are top-level prosecutors, you know, obviously involved in that case through different government agencies, and they are all like, this is a massive success in the drug war. This is, we won a big battle in the drug war getting this guy. Meanwhile, they're finding out in the trial that he was just probably a fall guy and that there, you know, are way more powerful interests involved in that cartel who are now still running things 
more drugs are being sold than ever. And you got to think, do they really believe that when they're saying that? Do they, they're, they're not the grunts, you know, down at, so maybe your average Joe Blow cop who, you know, isn't extremely educated, doesn't know much about the world, just, you know, watches his sports and goes out and cracks heads during the week. Um, you know, you could kind of understand where they might not know what they're actually doing when, and when they're fighting the drug war. But these people at this top level saying that they actually made an impact by arresting El Chapo when the cartel is still fully operational and everything is still going as uh, as it was. Um, do they actually believe this or are they just running their scam at this point and know that they're running their scam? I think that's a very interesting question. Exactly. They have to be, they have to know that they're running a scam, dude. Like, so what Jason just said about how these, the biggest people that pay to lobby to keep the drug war alive is, uh, you know, police unions and prison guards and stuff. But there's, uh, I mean, the drug cartels also need to keep the drug war alive because it, it creates a monopoly for them. It takes this sale and makes only criminal whenever when it's all pushed into the black market. You know, the only people that are willing to to, to fill the demand that never goes away are the cartels. I mean, and it, the cartels are just an, a monopoly uh, on the sale and trade of of these different substances. And the drug war actually creates and fosters these cartels. I mean, th- that we've known this for years or for decades that uh, that. Whenever we try to, when we, whenever we ban a substance, it creates a black market. And then by arresting people for selling it, the people that are really good at selling it and the people that produce it make all the money. They hold a monopoly on its sale and they can do whatever they want. I mean, in, in, up to and including kill people, buy politicians, uh, you know, buy off cops and all that. And that's what, um, that's exactly what we're seeing, you know, and like, yeah, El Chapo probably is just a fall guy. And, by arresting this single dude didn't shut down any of the supply chains coming in. You know, we got, we got Afghanistan, we got uh, the U S troops protecting heroin fields in Afghanistan. And they think resting El Chapo is some kind of victory in this, in this war on drugs. It's laughable. And it's like a, it's an insult to any critically thinking individual who can just ask these simple questions as to why it's going on like this. You know, Pablo Escobar's son, his uh, son at one point, I think we covered this in 2017, but he even, admitted that drug cartels will die the day that drugs are legalized and uh places like what portugal i believe have have done exactly that they've decriminalized all drugs and instead they're treating addiction as like a public health issue uh, instead of a crime instead of trying to use force the drug war has been going on for 47 years now and that's not even including alcohol prohibition so like at what point do we recognize that it's a failure at what point can they admit that this isn't the correct way to deal with these issues? It begs the question, right? Is this something that they know that they're, they're pawns in and they just don't want to admit it? They, don't, they can't publicly come out and say it? Or is there really that much competence within government and law enforcement? They, they can't recognize that force is not the answer to this. Right. Well, I mean, it's kind of like job security, you know? You know, when drugs are legalized, the cartels fall down. That means then then cops can't go kick in doors for for drugs. They'd have to go solve real crimes like murder and rape. And you know the the fact that there's like a drug raid like every you know I forget the stats. There's like forty thousand of these no knock raids every year, some shit like that. It's the numbers are astonishing. And and then you know in some departments in some towns there's like seven hundred thousand to a million uninvestigated rape kits sitting on shelves collecting dust. The fact that they're more willing to go kick in some pot dealer's door and throw him in a cage than investigate a rape is just it's disgusting. And it's um and it's just it shows, you know, that they're the, the true interests of the of law enforcement in America is not to not to protect or solve crimes, it's to basically and just enforce the drug war. Through enforcing the drug war it actually creates crime, more crime, you know. So you throw somebody in jail for like some average Joe who's never stolen or hurt anybody and he only wanted to just take some pills or smoke some weed. You throw that guy in jail for two years, he's coming out hardened, you know, and the likelihood of him committing a future crime, it goes up. This is a phenomenon that we know. Then they study, the, the government actually studies it called recidivism. So like these people get arrested for a petty drug offense that they've never harmed anybody, they've never done anything. 
Then they go in jail, and it's like a factory that turns out violent criminals because you, you know, you get hardened in jail, and you gotta, you make these connections with all these other criminals. Then you can't get a job when you get out because you have this record, and then that creates more crime. It, it creates more theft and robbery, and and this they they know this. The police know this. This is there's there's government studies on this shit. Like this is not me just saying this. You know, the the government actually studies this process and this this cycle that they actually foster and contribute to. And like you said, yeah, Portugal, and uh, they've decriminalized all drugs, and they saw a drastic drop in crime and drug use. The people stopped using drugs when they were uh, when they decriminalized them, you know? Like, that's not the, the, the answer is not a barrel of a gun. And um, Norway was the same. They decriminalized all drugs as well, and they're seeing similar results with this. The answer is out there, and we know that it works, and the U.S. is just too damn addicted to the revenue streams and the police state growth that the drug war brings on. So until that, uh, until we have more politicians out there, I don't see this ever coming to an end. Do you guys? I mean, do you think that they're ever going to wake up to this, the, the nonsense and madness that is the, the American drug war? Well, I think they'll be forced to. I was talking to older family members, uh, my wife's family the other day, and I was like, did you ever think that you'd see the day where you'd be able to walk into a store and buy weed? And both of them looked right at me and they were like, nope, not in a million years. And now we're seeing places that might decriminalize mushrooms, you know what I mean? Uh, I think that now that people have enough information... I feel like we are getting to a point where uh, they won't admit it until the very end. And then once they do admit it, they'll be like, oh, man, we really we really did not see that. We did not understand. But as you were saying, I mean, they got to know. And I, I think that's one of the old theories about Harry J. Ashlinger shifting from the al- prohibition of alcohol to the prohibition of marijuana because they needed something to do with all them cops and they wanted to kind of continue on i'm not sure if that's just a conspiracy theory or if that's been confirmed but i definitely remember reading that and yeah i overall just think that this punishment mindset is something that we needed to get away from of of course there are some crazy people in our society that may need to be quarantined to some extent but this whole i mean it's it's the backbone of the whole authoritarian state like that that is what keeps it in control is everybody's fear of going to jail yeah and don't forget too that the drug war isn't just being applied to stuff like bath salts or you know heroin this is also affecting uh, substances like cbd which isn't psychoactive at all uh, kratom you know this is kind of uh, a travesty on multiple levels here According to Vox, in 2015, it was 20,000 no-knock drug rates a year. Okay, That's okay. Pretty yeah, unbelievable. It was something ins- insane, though. Yeah, in the tens of thousands. Absolutely crazy. If we go back even further to see where the drug war began, I think it was um, one of Nixon's uh, Richard Nixon's staffers he came clean in like an interview in 1994 or something. I think his name is John Daniel Ehrlichman, and he came out and said that the drug war was it's based in in racism, and they, that the Nixon began the drug war so they could go after the blacks and the hippies. That's like that's a direct quote. They they started the drug war so they could go after the anti-war left, which were hippies and black people, which were slowly coming. You know, they were fighting for their rights at the time. So by criminalizing marijuana, the both of these groups tended to use that they could go after them and so that's what they started doing i mean the 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 racist aspect of the drug war is massive and you don't hear any of these social justice warriors or any of these guys ever talk about that including the police accountability folks you know like sean king and uh deray mckesson and all these people they they never they never mention the drug war they just they're quick to bash all these police officers who beat people and stuff and all these raids but they never talk about the the racist roots of the drug war and how it it's actually it actually inf- it's enforced against black people at a far greater rate than than the than white people for the exact same crimes you know a white guy gets caught with some cocaine he is not going to go to jail on his first offense but a black guy gets caught with some cocaine and he is more likely like 90% or something more likely to go to jail for the same exact drug offense I mean, the only politician who's ever even brought that up is, you know, Ron Paul and maybe his son a couple of times who's brought up how the drug war, it actually targets and, and it fosters a, a prison industrial complex 
that feeds on minorities. People had the audacity to call Ron Paul racist, but he was the only one speaking out about that. Exactly, exactly. I think a lot of that was uh, Lou Rockwell's fault, but that's probably another discussion entirely. But uh, yeah, I think that people have a problem with questioning the overall structure. They have a problem questioning the legal violence. So it's like, if a cop does something, we know this from writing police accountability articles for the past six plus years or whatever. When a cop does something off duty, he is way more screwed than when he does something when he has that magic costume on. Or if, if he is on a call, if somebody calls him to somewhere, then he has even more of a right to do something. You know, if he's in the middle of a raid, oh, my God, like, he he could shoot the person and get away with it. Including children. Exactly. So it's like, oh, if they have a warrant, he could go in and shoot whoever, even if they have the wrong address and it's the wrong warrant. Oops, it was on a piece of paper, so it's okay. And I feel like that is a lot of the attitude. It's like people are fine with questioning the individual who deviates from the law because that's what the cop you know the 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 cops that they are shaming are essentially lawbreakers anyway but the cops who uphold the law who might even do more damage they aren't ever looked at i think you nailed it that as when you had said that the this is kind of the backbone of the authoritarian police state because i mean how many videos have we seen or articles have we written where it starts with somebody being pulled over for a victimless crime let's say a tail light infraction and the cop says that they smell weed and that escalates and there's some kind of violence so this gives police an excuse to be the initiators of conflict in multiple different ways whether it be you know no knock raiding somebody's home with a suspicion from a bad informant or just something as simple as being pulled over and um, they could use this for anything and, and they have for years now especially with people of color yeah, and they've destroyed lives like of innocent children and um even, you know, babies. Like there's that that tragic story that happened uh I don't know back in 2014. We covered it extensively on the website. It's, uh Baby Boo, you know, you remember that? And the SWAT team raided his house on some bad information that they had, threw a fucking grenade into the crib that he was sleeping in and blew the face of his blew his face off, you know, and it I mean he did it didn't kill him but it disfigured his face and no one was held accountable for that. There was there was all based on bad information and um like a an informant allegedly bought crystal meth at the house that, but that they didn't have. And um no one was charged, nothing. You know, they fucking threw a grenade in a fucking baby's crib and no one got in trouble for that. Like you said, vibes they you know, these people, those are some of the worst ones. These guys that are willing to throw a flashbang grenade into a baby's crib that's going to disfigure the baby. And, and these that guy's probably still out there. Yeah, and how about that guy who, who shot that dude in the hotel with the, uh, the Simon Says game, with the, the get up, sit down, go, roll around? Uh, he, he's oh, still yeah, got a job. Daniel Shaver. Him. Yeah. So, like, all these idiots who do this stuff under the color of law, it's okay. Even for police accountability activists like Sean King, they don't even mention it when it's legal, most of the time. I'm sure he might have covered it once or twice, but it's not a focus of it. Usually it's just a focus of cops that step out of line, not the system that's out of line itself. Yeah, and they tend to they tend to like only focus on minority cops or, or crimes against minorities and stuff, which is a very big problem, you know. But if we want to pose a real solution, we have to talk about the whole the whole thing, you know. We can't just focus on the just the black people or just the Mexican people or just the white people that are being abused by the police state. We have to focus on the police state as a whole and understand that it's racist at heart and the continuance of the drug war perpetuates this racism until we stop that that's never going to happen you know we deal with this all the time because people are always telling us that we just hate cops right and i think if we're yeah if we're just going to attribute these types of behaviors and crimes just to the individual then that's short-sighted you know um some individuals might be racist sure that they might also be employed as law enforcement officers but the bigger picture 
you know, when we're, if we're going to look at the culprit and actually strike the root, we need to acknowledge that it's the institution itself. It's the institution that claims a monopoly over law and law enforcement. They claim the legal right to enforce violence, especially egregious when it comes to the victimless crimes. But I think that's where I always try to direct people because certainly get plenty of messages on police to police. Well, you just hate cops. And it's like, no, we don't. There are cops out there that have good intentions who do want to try to make their communities better. But they also work for a very dangerous gang that claims a right to be a monopoly on using force. And if they're funded by taxation, then they're going to have zero incentive to ever be accountable. They're going to have zero incentive to ever be efficient or effective. And I think that's where I try to kind of get people to start thinking about because ultimately I believe this is an economic issue. If we want things to ever change, don't get me wrong, it's going to be a long term change. A lot of people have to even understand this, first of all. But if we ever want change, we have to acknowledge that if we're funding these operations through extracted tax dollars, they're never going to have any incentive to change. A police officer commits a crime and brutalizes somebody and there's a settlement for, let's say, $2 million. The taxpayers are paying for that. There's no accountability whatsoever from the institution or the individual. So, you know, there's, I think, some bigger points to look at when it comes to this and, and what's actually happening. And yeah, and people like, you know, Sean King, and we keep harping on him, but there's plenty of police accountability activists that don't dig that deep. You know, they don't actually look that deep into it. And sure, racism is a problem. Don't get me wrong. But if we're going to continue to turn a blind eye to the monopoly itself, then we're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Yeah. If, if some of these people like, uh, like these other big names in police accountability actually spoke up and talked about the drug war, um, that would bring so much more attention to it, you know, but it's like, I think their whole shtick is that they, uh, they like, they just foster this hate and and then they like they have their competitive victimhood that they want to just claim to be the bigger victim instead of instead of actually posing solutions to the problem that's turning them into victims they just like to scream the loudest and and virtue signal and to to be to show that they're the biggest victim instead of actually posing solutions that would actually turn them from victims into to victors you got to ride that gravy train right like if uh obviously economics aren't exactly sexy in our society you know but you know speaking out against racism is so if you could kind of uh harness that it's going to do more for your own self-image than trying to get into some more of the in-depth topics that you know it probably more of the culprit well yeah and you 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 bring up the tax structure and i i think that like it's it's kind of interesting because of course the the cops when it all comes down to it are pretty much going to be the tax collectors too if push comes to shove but do do you think people would actually pay their taxes without police brutality like i I think that that is actually a, a function that police brutality serves in many countries you know i mean if you go out and protest too hard they'll come and smack you down you don't pay your taxes they'll come and smack you down um so i think having that element of fear in people is something that keeps this whole thing going. Yeah, and I agree. And we know we've documented, I believe, a few years back that police are hired with lower IQs. That's something that they actually look for when hiring. If they have too high of an IQ, if they're too smart, they won't actually be hired as cops. So I think I think you're right, Vibes. I mean, that just goes to prove that <clears throat> they're looking for order followers, people who aren't going to necessarily apply their, their ethics and morals to um, enforcing some of these laws, you know, and so um, are they useful idiots? Are they pawns? Don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's good people out there with good intentions. I've said that. But the way that police culture is in our society, there's so much worship towards police through the propaganda. I mean, just just today I was out in breakfast and uh, somebody sitting right across from us was wearing a Blue Lives Matter t-shirt. You know, I almost threw up, of course. But uh <laughs> It's everywhere, you know, and that's kind of the norm. That's kind of the mainstream thinking. So if you deviate from what you don't support the police, what you just want chaos in society, I always just try to make clear that, no, I don't want chaos. I believe in modern day society that protection and security services are desirable, and that's something that people would pay for. I just don't want it from a monopoly who has no incentive to ever be accountable to the people that they claim to be protecting and serving. And back to that uh, IQ thing, the... um 
if you if the reason it's like that, I believe, you know, is if you have really super intelligent people in there, they uh, they tend not to be cops for as long. And um, I think that, that that there was a big we did a big uh, in in depth uh, article on that about how the there the this one cop sued because he was too smart and they wouldn't hire him to be a police officer. But um, yeah, if you if you critically think about what you're doing, like you're kicking in doors and and throwing people on the ground and holding guns to their heads because they have a plant in their backyard. If you start to think about the role and and the actual your role in these situations, then you can't continue to do that. You're the criminal in these situations, you know, not the guy growing a plant in his backyard. You know, the people raiding their house and stealing their things there. That's the that's the criminal. And one and if you think critically about that as as a police officer, you, uh, you 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 can no longer be a police officer. I have um, I have some friends that are in law enforcement, FBI, and then some um, some top cops in Texas, and they uh, they are unable to enforce the drug war at their at their jobs. They won't arrest anybody or go after anybody for for drugs because it's uh, it's immoral. You know, it, there's no reason to to go and put somebody in in prison for a, possessing a substance that the state doesn't like. And and so that's why it takes us. It takes a certain kind of person to be able to unquestioningly, unquestioningly, enforce such barbaric and utter chaotic laws. Really intelligent people aren't able to do that because they won't be able to live with themselves. <laughs> you know, I mean, for sure. There's these cops that um that I'm friends with. They're they're not alone. You know, like a lot of their friends and a lot of their other people that they work with don't like the drug war, and they're they're trying internally to to stop it. But it's uh it's so profitable, and there's so many people that that want to keep it going for these these revenue streams to keep them alive. That um you know speaking out about it is essentially career suicide. You know, you'll be outcast or you're for accused of crossing the thin blue line, and like there's a whole list of cops on the free thought project who've who've crossed that line and um are no longer cops there's a uh, dominic izzo you know he was uh cast out and um in in illinois for for trying to do these exact same things and like he's like he's total police state addicted dude but he, he still saw the the horror in enforcing the uh the war on drugs you know until we all until the active law enforcement and the, the top heads actually come to their senses and realize that the profit's not worth it. They're not going to stop it anymore, you know? And, but like you said earlier, vibes, you know, where there's laws being voted on right now to decriminalize mushrooms in Denver. That's huge, man. And that's, what's going to stop the drug war. The, the cops are never going to stop it. And it's going to be the people that keep disobeying the law. That's how, you know, that's how real change is brought about is when good people disobey bad laws. And the weed revolution, the legal weed revolution is, that's taking place across the country is, you know, it gives me hope that, that this drug war will be brought to its knees pretty soon, you know, and then, but not without a big, huge fight from, uh, from these people who are addicted to the revenue it creates for them. Here's something interesting to think about. So I think I shared in our stories chat the other day that there's uh, several Washington state sheriffs who are telling their deputies to not enforce the new gun laws that were passed um, for like firearm restrictions, which is interesting, right? Because it seems like that's a pretty common thing and not, not super common, but it happens. Like we, we've covered it before where cops say that flat out they're not going to enforce some of these gun laws because it violates their oath. Why do you guys feel like they're so adamant about speaking out about the Second Amendment and protecting that and not enforcing some of these laws that could be violating their oaths when it comes to the Second Amendment, but then they could care less about the Fourth Amendment? They're perfectly happy to enforce these drug laws and kick down people's doors. What, what do you guys think about that? I think it has something to do with ideology, too, because if you think about it, a lot of cops probably lean conservative and are trapped in that right-left paradigm. So something that they value as a conservative is the Second Amendment, so they'll stick up for that. You know what I mean? That, that, I think that has something to do with it. The NRA, I guess, uh, is that what you were suggesting, Matt? <laughs> Oh no 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 not like that. I meant that the the revenue stream from enforcing the drug war, you know, that's the they're they're yeah, uh, yeah. they're totally okay with violating the 4th amendment and everything else kicking in people's doors for and unreasonably searching them and seizing their items because there's a lot of cash and cars involved in, you know, that they can take from these these drug dealers and stuff. So that's why uh I think that they don't do that. But there have been uh there's been district attorneys and um and prosecutors like uh city prosecutors that 
have you know publicly come out like this hey this is heads of law enforcement and come out and said that they're going to no longer prosecute people for uh for for drug possession there was a a cop up in i think it's gloucester maryland maybe um he actually started a program called the angel program and um when they would arrest people or find people with drugs they would they they stopped they refused to put them in in prison and um, instead of spending the money, locking them in a cage and feeding them three meals a day, you know, they actually they sought they got them help at, at addiction centers. And um, and then this actually is spreading to I think there's like 200 departments out now that, that refuse to enforce the drug war like that. And um, instead, they like if you get caught with drugs, they get you help, you know, and, and try to get you off the drugs and. Which is way more effective than throwing you in a cage with a bunch of you know violent criminals and shit that you have to defend yourself against. And um, when when your only problem was you know your only crime was trying a drug or not being able to get off of a drug. So yeah, there's these angel programs are taking place all over the country, um, including down here in Louisiana, which is utterly insane. You know that this is like the drug war capital of the world. You know we have the largest. I think we have the largest prison population. Like if if all the states were countries. I think Louisiana um, boasts the largest prison population in the world outside of like the, you know, like it's still larger than all the other countries in the world's prisons population. <laughs> so, um, I mean, don't quote me on that, but I think it, I, I think that might be true. But uh, so, yeah, so there's there's departments over across the country that are that are slowly starting to refuse to put people in cages for for drugs and um, mainly because. They, I, they're, they're probably run by smart, <laughs> smart cops, you know, and, um, who see the, the, their unnecessary and violent, um, cycle that the drug war creates. So, uh, if that just keeps spreading, I think that's going to be another, um, another death blow to this war. You know, an interesting part of this we haven't even really gone into is big pharma's role and, uh, what the FDA is, is starting to crack down on Kratom now, right? Because they claim that 47 people have been killed from it. Uh, meanwhile, the FDA is approving all types of pharmaceutical drugs that are killing thousands of people every year. So because it's you know approved and regulated by the FDA, these drugs are even more dangerous than the drugs that are on the streets, even more accessible. And yet there's this total hypocrisy because uh, these are illegal drugs. They're not legal drugs. Therefore, they're more dangerous in people's minds, uh, obviously law enforcement. And, you know, they're kicking down people's doors for illegal drugs. But all the meanwhile, you know, these huge big pharma corporations are pumping out you know, products for every type of issue, medical condition or ailment or whatever. And, uh, you know, obviously that's totally fine and dandy. And, uh, you know, there's more within the last year and a half or so recognition about the, the dangers of pharmaceuticals and this opioid crisis, obviously. But uh, how many years did that go on where nobody was saying anything? And once again, you know, the illegal drugs, uh, marijuana, you know, cocaine, a lot of these that even come from plants are, are the focus and the target. It just seems so backwards. It is, man. 150 people die every day from uh, from opioids. And um, the, I think there's several studies that show that most of these people get addicted to opioids because they were given to them by their doctor. And um, we're not saying that, that, that opioids should be outlawed or illegal because uh, clearly that has no effect on the amount of people that it's killing. Um, but, you know, if we spent – if the taxpayers' money went to actually treating people – for their addiction and um, and to inform them about you know the, the dangers of taking these pills over and over and repeatedly, then we there I guarantee we wouldn't be in this crisis we have right now. The drug war is what's making this crisis right now. The drug war is what's making the heroin dangerous. The fentanyl come in from the the demand for fentanyl because um, because it's like these these drugs are black market terrible things. You know, not too many people die from uh, Laura tabs. I mean, it's possible. I, I know a couple of people who have died from like the 10 milligram, um, you know, opioid pills. A lot of people are addicted to those and they take them every day and they function, you know, and they're, they're they go about their lives and they don't die. But um, I mean, they, you get caught with that. You're going down, you know. But uh, so a lot of people aren't able to get that. So then they go and they try to they su they supplement their addiction with uh, this dangerous freaking fentanyl. It's coming from China or Afghanistan or wherever the hell it's coming from. And then 
they take it and they, you know, they go to sleep and never wake up because they stop breathing. And that's what that's why 150 people a day are dying. And that's all a product of keeping all these other drugs illegal. Yeah, I think recently we saw a little bit of some of the CEOs had to go to court over like an inquiry about the the opioid epidemic, but I don't think that there was any kind of charges or anything brought against them. Like, I don't think they were facing any kind of jail time. I don't know if you guys looked into that at all. Some of the guys who made uh, that, some fentanyl, the, the, uh, I can't remember the name of that company. Um, It's out of Arizona. They actually, they actually, they lobbied to keep marijuana illegal. They spent hundreds of thousands of dollars lobbying to, to keep marijuana illegal in Arizona. And they produce fentanyl. And like five of their top execs actually are in jail right now because they got caught, um, you know, creating incentives for doctors to prescribe fentanyl more. And some of these doctors were prescribing fentanyl to like kids with broken arms and shit, man. I got fentanyl when I went in for my cancer surgery. They gave me fentanyl. Well, that's what it's for. It's for, you know, it's for it's for cancer and, and like really debilitating pain. It's not for a fucking broken arm, dude. If the doctor would have given me fentanyl when I broke my wrist last year, I would have, you know, I would have lost my mind, dude. That's just insanity. And that's what, you know, this fentanyl is being prescribed to all these people. And they're actually, you know, and people trust their doctors. You know, they think that, oh, the doctor told me I could take it. So, and the next thing you know, you got soccer moms banging out heroin in the back alley, you know, and because they, they their doctor told them it was okay, and now they can't stop it, and they're they're you know they're they're super addicted, and they have to go to these cartels to get their heroin now. So it's fucking it's crazy, man. And in the meantime, they're going after uh, kratom, like Jason said. You know, kratom is like is I take kratom a lot. I love it. It's uh, I took some today. There you go. Yeah, it's an awesome plant. It gives me energy. It um it. It, I mean, it does, there's like everything, you know, there's a tendency for people to get addicted and, uh, I tend to have an addictive personality. So I don't try, I try to not take it every day, but I do love to take it when I go out with friends or when I'm feeling kind of tired or whatever, it gives me some energy and makes me feel really good. The, yeah, like you said that the DEA or the FDA claims that 47 people died from, um, from taking Kratom, but, um, that what they found was that like through freedom of information act is that 47 people certainly had Kratom in their uh bloodstreams or the markers for kratom in their bloodstreams whenever uh they died but the fda failed to mention that they also had things like uh heroin meth uh cocaine alcohol um there was there was a lot of other drugs in their systems whenever these people were uh were whenever they died you know and uh they parade these the the parents of these kids that that had kratom in their system around on tv using them as pawns and stuff to try to demonize this plant that uh, if it were actually deadly, there'd be millions of people dying, dude. Because I mean, everybody I know takes kratom, dude. It's a, it's an awesome, it's an awesome plant. You know, it's um probably just as many people take kratom as as do take you know use marijuana. It's uh, it's it's like it's that popular. I don't know about that, but no? okay, it, it's gaining popularity. I don't think a lot of people still even know what it is. I mean, there there are it is coming up for sure. And and just to be clear, it's a, a cousin of coffee. It's a plant that's a cousin of coffee. It's from Southeast Asia. There's like various uh, uses for it. There's like some for pain management. There's some for energy. Uh, there's some for euphoria, and and just like a lot of different substances and plants, you know, like they try to really fearmonger and really try to scare the shit out of you about some of these substances. I remember as a kid, I used to think like LSD was like the worst of the worst drugs, you know, like it would make you lose your mind or whatever. But more and more stories are coming out about how certain substances like mushrooms and LSD at the right doses or microdosing can actually be positive. They could actually reverse depression um, and a host of other things, anxiety, uh, and there's also other substances, too, like San Pedro or ayahuasca, you know, which really uh, do a lot to help people understand their their own existence. I, I mean, you guys, I think, have a little more experience when it comes to that kind of stuff. But I, I think it's important to also recognize that a lot of these drugs that they've really tried to use and, and demonize also have some beneficial properties. And there's a lot of good things to them, uh, even though they're under this umbrella of being drugs, which, you know, we've all been propagandized for years through the drug war and D.A.R.E. and programs like that, that any drug is just a terrible thing. But I, that's not necessarily true. No, I used to say if every uh, if every cop would uh, have to take ayahuasca, you know, before they start their first day on the job, they'd uh, 
they'd either quit or they would um they would you know stop enforcing the drug war like the next day <laughs> the yeah ayahuasca and all these drugs like that man it's a shame that that they're they have such an awesome propensity to to expand consciousness and bring humanity to a different level and state of mind and if you're caught with them you'll be thrown in a cage you know or worse like i think they te- they treat dmt as like some severe felony and if you're caught with dmt you get like you get in a lot of trouble man it's crazy I'm surprised they hadn't raided joe rogan's house because he talks about doing dmt all the time you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is crazy because that's like the least harmful thing that it possibly it, it, it's it's impossible to overdose on it's in your body at all times you know it's in most living organisms um it, it that's just an obvious point where they don't want you accessing certain parts of your consciousness. They don't want you figuring certain things out. And I'm pretty sure, you know, if you look at the research that was done by the military and stuff on psychedelics, as many people that I'm not a big fan of, like Jan Irvin and such, have pointed out, that they they started out trying to use it as a a mind control tool. You know what I mean? And then once they started to experiment, they saw like, oh, wow, you know, this is has the complete opposite effect that we wanted it to. This is making people more difficult to control. This is really opening up their mind, everything that's going on. We got to put a lid on this. And then, you know, that I think is why the stuff is treated like uh, such contraband, because it definitely it has the power to overthrow society and a lot of the early um acid dealers a lot of the early acid manufacturers they were 100 percent ideological they were not about money most of them were dirt poor and they did every single thing for free so much acid was given away for free in the 60s because these dealers rightfully saw it as a tool uh, you know, they thought they were going to end the war with it and stuff. And I, I mean, if certain things didn't happen, uh, you know, they really might have been able to change society. But I think that there was a massive COINTELPRO operation against the hippies that nobody has ever really looked into, uh, except for coming from the Puritan side of it as, you know, they were trying to control you with the drugs. But that's only the first part of the story. Once the cat got out of the bag and they realized that it had the uh, power to topple society the way it was, I think that kind of explains why something like DMT would be illegal. It's not just a war on drugs. It's a war on people and consciousness. You know, When you think of it like that, they're claiming a right to tell you what you can and can't do with your own consciousness. It's kind of crazy. It is. It's, it's a war on... Drugs, a war on people, and a war on what they think and what they can and can't think. That's what Sturgill Simpson said. Tell me how you make illegal something that we all make in our brain. And and it's true, man. They outlawed a chemical that our own body produces, and, and they treat it as a severe felony that's punishable by up to 20 years in jail. It's It's insanity, man. To me, it's no different than making it illegal to read or making it illegal to own a calendar as they did in the Middle Ages because they they don't want you at a certain level of consciousness. They want you at a lower level of consciousness so you're easy to control. And unless you guys have anything to add, I think that that's a pretty good place for us to leave it today with some powerful things for people to think about. Come on over and like our new 3.0 page as well. Yeah. Well, Awesome. I'll just remind everybody to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, your podcast player of choice, YouTube, or all of the above, wherever you can to help us out. Audio is pretty much the only place that we're able to reach people uh, currently, unless something changes. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>